0: Today's episode is a little different than usual, and I loved it. I know that I have a lot of listeners who are not entrepreneurs. You're in the corporate world, or you're a student, or you're an employee, or you're in a job that you just cannot stand, and you're looking to either change jobs or find a job where you can serve on a team in a way that utilizes your gifts. You're looking for a job with purpose and meaning, and you just don't know where to start. We've got you covered today. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Mac Pritchard, the founder and president of Pritchard Communications and MaxList. Mac is also the proud owner of two registered B corporations and he is so passionate about helping people find their dream job that allows them to make a sustainable living while doing good in the world. Here's the thing, today's episode has something for literally everyone in it and I know you're gonna love it. So without further ado, onto my conversation with Mac. Hey Mac, welcome to the show. Well, hey,
1: Molly, thanks for having me on the show.
0: I am so excited to chat with you today because I think when I when I was reading a little bit about what you do, I was like, this is such a unique guest to have on the show. Because, you know, here on the show we talk with all types of entrepreneurs and business owners, and, and a lot of the listeners are really interested in starting their own business. But I think you can you can speak to that. But I, I think one of the things that really intrigues me about chatting with you is that you can speak to, you know, maybe the person who is currently in their job and they hate it or they're unemployed and they want to start their own business or they want to look for a job that is, um, you know, doing good in the world. And you can really speak to that. So I'm so excited to chat about all of this. Uh, I've just really been looking forward to this. So um, but before we get into all of that, Mac, I need you to have us do or give us the Mac 101. So tell us your story. Who are you? Where are you from? And how did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, I grew up in the Midwest in Eastern Iowa, Molly. I am speaking to you from Portland, Oregon. And the journey that took me here is I when I got out of college a long time ago, I went to the University of Iowa, I wanted to do three things. I wanted to write I wanted to work on election campaigns, and I wanted to do human rights advocacy in Latin America. And I'm actually gonna be 60 in November, so in the 40 years that have followed, I've been able to do all of those things and more. And and the constant that runs through my career, Molly, is wanting to make a difference about issues I care about, or in the community where I live and work. And service is a very important value for me. It's something I learned from my parents and my family as a whole, and it's something that I've applied throughout my career. Today, I run two small businesses. One is Pritchard Communications. It's a public relations company that works with nonprofits, foundations, and purpose-driven brands, and the other is MaxList. It's an online community that attracts about 80,000 people a month, Molly, and we help people find work that matters, and we do that through a job board, and education and training services about how to look for work. Both companies are registered B Corps, they're part of that global movement of business as a force for social good. And I came to this work after a career in communications. I worked for elected officials, a governor of Oregon, a mayoral candidate here in Portland, as well as uh, public agencies in Oregon and Massachusetts uh, typically in the social service or transportation world. And, yeah. uh, and it's so, uh, but again, I've had a lot of different jobs, but uh, it's all been about trying to make a difference right. in, in the world as a whole.
0: Right. I want to ask, I want to ask you this question and have you chat a little bit about it. Um, because a lot of the guests I have on this show, um, own businesses that are certified B corporations. And this is also something that I talk about on my blog when um, I am talking a lot about supporting ethical fashion and fair trade goods and purchasing with purpose, all these kind of things. And one of the things I tell people is to look to see if the brand or the company is a certified B Corp. Um, And I get this question all the time is, well, what is a certified B Corp? And why does that mean that the company is good? And while I know sort of like the, you know, the 36,000 foot answer. <laughs> I know enough. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that means to be a certified B Corporation and why that was something that was really important to you in the businesses you run?
1: Absolutely. There are about 2,000 B Corps around the world. Many of them are in the United States. And as you know, Molly, B Corps go through a, a kind of auditing process. You go through a series of checklists that look at your business processes not only in uh, human resources, but uh, how you do business. Mm -hmm. And it's about managing for what's called the triple bottom line. not just for profit, but also for community benefit and the environment. And the reason B Corps exist is in the United States, unless you're a B Corp, you have a fiduciary responsibility to manage for the bottom line only. And in fact, uh, if you have a choice between making an investment that might still keep the company profitable but also benefit the community and another choice that will maximize profit, you could actually be sued by shareholders if you don't choose the option that maximizes profit. And when you're a certified benefit corporation and you have the legal status that comes with it, you can manage for benefit to the community Mm -hmm. as, as well as for profitability.
0: Yeah. And it's a pretty, uh, so I have a dear friend who owns a ethical shoe brand that is a certified B Corporation. And from what I understand, it's a pretty intense process that you have to go through.
1: It is. It takes some time and effort. And you do have to go through a recertification every several years. But the good news is once you When you go through that process, you get a lot of support from the national organization that does the certification. It's called the B-Lab, and they will give you feedback and concrete suggestions about how you can improve your business processes to get a passing score. And when you get that score, not only do you get the certification, but it's good for your business because when you step back and look at your processes – You find ways to do business better and not only increase your profitability, but also to um, treat your employees better and get more involved in the community. And those are things that are going to be good for your company in the long run.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned that when you were kind of, you know, young and, and, and you know, daydreaming about what you wanted to do. You said you wanted to write, you wanted to work on election campaigns, and you wanted to do human rights advocacy in Latin America. Um, and you said that, you know, in the past 40 years, you've been able to do a little bit of all three of those things. Um, I'm, I'm curious what is it about doing human rights advocacy in Latin America is a very specific thing? What what exactly drew you to that? And what work did you do in that area?
1: Well, I became very interested in human rights issues when I was in college. And I had an uh, an internship when I was a junior in college with a human rights organization in Washington, D.C. And that's where I learned my basic public relations skills. We pitched reporters both in uh, d c and and the international media as well about u s. Latin American policy from a human rights perspective. yeah and that experience really crystallized my interest in the region. And when I went back to school, uh, I signed up for a language program in Mexico. Uh, I changed my minor to Latin American studies, and I got a job with that organization uh, the year after I graduated from college, and that's where i, I I spent uh, the first two years of my career, and it led to another position with the Human Rights Group in Boston, the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, where I helped with the Central American program. And we took members of Congress on fact-finding trips to to Central America. This was way back in the 1980s. But those experiences uh, showed me that the difference you could make in the policymaking process and in working with the media, and that you could change policy agendas for the better and get people thinking about those issues and and having the experience both to to live and study in Mexico and then to work regularly in Central America was it was transformative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like those types of experiences in general tend to be those kind of core experiences that really influence how we do things the rest of our lives whether and they change us in some way shape or form and I feel like it it can either be one of those situations where you either use that change to like you said do something for good and you and be a force for good, or sometimes it can go the other way. Um, but I, I really feel like you, you used a lot of those experiences to kind of influence what you're doing today. At what point, you know, what made you want to start businesses that are a force for good? What was really the, the core of that?
1: Well, throughout my career, I looked for jobs that let me make a difference. And eleven years ago, when I started the public relations company, the opportunity came to me in the form of a contract from a foundation that had been funding a position I had. I was national communications director for a juvenile justice reform project. We were headquartered in Portland, but we operated in 18 states. And the funder said, look, we love what you're doing, but we are gonna stop funding jobs like yours. Why don't you come in and work for us as a halftime consultant? And I agreed to do that, and it, it led to me starting my own company. And the reason I said yes, candidly, Molly, was twofold. One was I knew that uh, it was a great opportunity because I had a good understanding of the job market in Oregon because I'd been sending out job postings through what became MaxList. The other reason was because I'd worked on more than a dozen election campaigns, which are very much like startups. I was very comfortable with starting an organization from scratch I knew what it was like to to build systems from nothing, find an office, hire staff, yeah, uh, and then chase customers. And so that political experience was uh, the perfect uh, background for uh, entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I actually so when I was in college, I. Was an English major, but I minored in government and political science, and I was heavily involved in politics in college and immediately after college. And my first, you know, I guess, real job right out of college was I actually worked for um, then Governor Virginia Governor Tim Kaine in his policy office. I was a governor's fellow, and it's so funny how like when people find out that at one point I worked in politics, they're like, "Wait, what? That doesn't make any sense." And but it's it's interesting because a lot of the things that i learned working in his policy office and working with constituent correspondence and all that kind of things all those kinds of things like those those lessons that i learned in that type of office environment and that type of you know workforce um dealing with constituents and dealing with committees and going to hearings and all these kinds of things like the lessons I learned from that have very much influenced how I run my own business um, and how I interact with people and how I interact with clients and colleagues and all these types of things. Um, So I don't think people might think that they are very unrelated politics and entrepreneurship, but I don't think they are at all.
1: I, I think they're very similar. I, when I talk about my campaign experience, for me, it, every campaign always started the same. It was around a kitchen table with a candidate and a few friends and family, whether it was a U.S. Senate race or a city council campaign, and the the budgets varied. Sometimes it was only fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. Sometimes it was several million. But the money in the beginning always comes from friend and friends and family. And mm-hmm. and whether the campaign is 6, 12, 18 months, you've, again, got to build those systems, find those offices, hire the people. And on election night, you know uh, when the polls close whether you had a sale or not because your product is the candidate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. I don't think I ever thought about it that way either. Um, So there's, I want to shift gears just a little bit because there's something that you – can really speak to that I think is a unique topic that we haven't really hit on on this show so a lot of my listeners are business owners and entrepreneurs and but in general my listeners are are this community, they are people who just, they want to make a difference in the world. They care about their communities. They care about social justice issues. They care about the people that make their clothes. They, they, they want to make sure that people are being treated fairly, p- being paid a fair, a fair and living wage, um, or they have a passion that keeps them up at night that they want to do something with. And sometimes those people don't necessarily know what to do with that. And so there is a segment of my listeners who may be unemployed or kind of feel stuck in their job. Maybe they're in a cubicle job. Maybe they're in a job that they absolutely hate. They wake up every single morning. Their alarm goes off and they just kind of do that, Ugh, not another day, and they kind of schlep themselves to work. Because they just feel like they're doing they're going through the motions, and so I, I would love for you to kind of talk about um, what would you say to the listeners who are who are that person they're unemployed or they feel stuck in that job and they want to pursue a job that has meaning or gives them a sense of purpose. Can you kind of talk to those people a little bit? What would you say to them? What are your tips for somebody who's looking to change a job and enter the workforce and do something good
1: yes. First, recognize that job hunting is a skill, and like any skill, it can be mastered. I think many of us think the way you find a job is you look at job, job boards like the one I operate, and you should, but as you may know, Molly, most positions are never advertised. They're part of what's called hid, the hidden job market.
0: Yep, 1000 These are positions
1: that are filled by word of mouth. Yes. And people, particularly the listeners that you just described, struggle with finding jobs in that market and, and getting those positions uh, because they, they haven't been trained in how to do it. And the good news is you can learn how to do it and it begins by uh, not waiting to be picked. So successful job seekers, uh, people who find work that they love and particularly work that has purpose and meaning, they, they begin, they do a couple of things really well. First, they get clear about their goals. and They tell people what those goals are. Uh, And if they're unclear about them, they have a short list of two or three goals that they explore. Second, they know where they want to go. And again, there might be some uncertainty there, but I generally find that people have a short list in their head of five to six organizations or companies or nonprofits where they'd love to be. When I ask them about that, they tell me, sometimes I have to prod them a little, and then my next question is, well, who have you talked to there? And often they talk to no one, and it's because they don't know how to do it. And the third thing they need to get really good at, once they know what their goals are, and where they want to go, is what are called informational interviews. These are those conversations you have with people uh, to when you're doing a job search, or trying to figure out what to do next, And these are structured business meetings uh, that can take place over a cup of coffee or in someone's office, but they're 20 to 30 minutes, and they help you find and get hidden jobs. And we can talk more about how informational interviews
0: work. I know you're loving this conversation with Mac, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show who's able to help make it possible, and that's Cosbox. As you know, Cosbox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes. I've been a subscriber myself for over two and a half years. How it works is each season, a new box is released with everything from accessories and home goods and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they're also doing the most good. And each box delivers incredible value with a guarantee of over $150 worth of products for only $54.95 or $39.95 if you use my coupon code MOLLY, that's M-O-L-L. The products are not just beautiful, but they're also useful. The summer box is releasing soon, and the sneak peeks that Cosbox has been sharing are incredible. I cannot wait to see everything that's inside. There's even a few customizable options for annual members, so you gotta hop on it soon. But as you know, the impact of each Cosbox is what I love the most, and in my opinion, makes the whole membership even more worth it. The past spring box, for example, employed more than 600 artisans under fair trade conditions in India and Kenya, and put. 100 young girls in India through school. To reserve your summer cause box, go to stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Now back to my conversation with Mac. I get questions all or emails all the time. And I, like if you if you are listening and you have sent me one of these emails, I do not hate you. I love you so much. Um, <laughs> but as a business owner, I get emails all the time from people who want to meet for coffee or meet for lunch and quote, pick my brain. And, and I'll be honest, if I, if I took, and this is not me to being like, look at how awesome I am and all the people that email me to pick my brain. Um, but it's, it's, if I took every single one, like I'd never see my family and I would never see my children and I would be offering up all of my information for free. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like, I love to meet with people. I love to have coffee and, and lunch. Um, so I guess the reason I, I ask this or I kind of bring up this point is from, you know, both the business owner's perspective and then the kind of prospective employee or, per, you know, however you want to put it. How should they reach out to that person that maybe they want to get together with and 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 chat with? and not use the word pick your brain. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, like, how how do they reach out to that person to kind of begin to develop that relationship that could ultimately lead to a job or a new opportunity?
1: I'm glad you brought this up because <laughs> I and I say this with kindness. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to say, can I pick your brain or yeah. can we get together for coffee? Yeah. And and I get those requests, too. Yeah. And often when I encourage people to ask for informational interviews, they say, well, you know, why would somebody see me? And, oh, I tried that people to get back to me. I, I wrote so-and-so for coffee and I never heard a reply here. Here's the problem. When you do that, it's unclear for the people who get those emails, what it is exactly you want. Mm, And I, I think the reader looks at a message like that and thinks, gosh, is this, um, 30 minutes, an hour, a Starbucks, uh, gosh, it's 10 minutes there, 10 minutes back. I'm not sure I can be of helpful of help to this person. Uh, I'll think about this later, and they blink and a week goes by. Right. And most people don't send a follow-up email, so they, they feel ignored, and they feel uh, these kinds of conversations aren't a good use of their time. Here's a better way to do it, Molly think about a message that says, hey, could we get together for coffee? I'm doing a job search, and I'd love to pick your brain, compared to this. Dear Molly, I'm running at the suggestion of Mac Pritchard. He met you recently at a national conference of B Corp owners. I'm headed your way to the Carolinas, relocate with my spouse, and I want to get in touch with other B Corp business owners uh, in the state. Uh, I'm Once I settle, I would like to work for a purpose-driven brand doing marketing and communications. As you can see from the attached resume, I've had a lot of experience in this field. I'll be in your town on these dates. I wonder if you might be available uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday of that week between 3 and 5 to get together for 20 to 30 minutes to talk about my search and the local B Corp community. I'm happy to meet at your office. That is, what would your reaction be to that message, Molly?
0: That is genius. I love that. Because again, yeah, for me yeah. as somebody that if somebody were to send that to me, I would think like, oh, yeah, I'd love to connect with somebody that's new to the area. Uh, clearly, they have an interest in this field. Um, yeah. Like you said, they mentioned the time constraints. They give dates. Yeah, it's much more specific and less like, hey, I want to get together and pick your brain and basically have you tell me all of the things that you know, <laughs> which y- yeah. you never know how long that conversation is going to go.
1: I know. They, it's A request like that puts limits on it. It says who sent them, what they want, and how you can be helpful. You know whether or not you can be helpful or not. And, and, and if they've done their homework, and, and in this instance the person writing that message has... They know exactly what they'd love to get from that meeting, and uh, and you're because they've done that homework, you're much more likely to say yes, because we do want to help other people. 99.9% of us are built that way. Yeah. Uh, we want to be of service. Yeah, uh, We just have to make it easy for people to say yes.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you brought up that, the the, the hidden job market thing, and I don't think I ever really thought of it as that's exactly what it's called. But when I think back to, with the exception of obviously working for myself, because I created my own job, um, I hired myself, but um, in all of my other jobs that I've had in my lifetime, Oh, I don't think any of them I got from a job board. I actually one of my jobs, I literally had. So I worked at a radio station um, when I first moved to North Carolina. I worked at a small uh, AM radio station here for a couple years, and I sort of I just really took on that role. Um, I was, you know, really changing up their marketing department I developed a whole community website that is now like one of the the biggest community websites here in the central North Carolina area and um, I had the next job that I had after that the guy that ended up being my boss he just he was a listener of the station and he emailed me one day and he just said hey I really love what you do for the radio station Uh, what could I do to get you to come work for me (laughs) And I just kind of was like, "Um, well, I don't really like my job right now. So let's do lunch. And then we ended up getting lunch and he he sat down. He said, I don't actually have a job for you. I just want to hire you so you can basically create whatever job you want in my company. I mean, he had an idea of what he wanted me to do. He just didn't have like an actual open position. But, you know, it was one of those jobs that just sort of Literally fell in my lap. But in a lot of ways, it was because I'd made connections in the community that then I started working at this radio station and I started putting my work out there and I was in a job that I didn't like. And then I had somebody else reach out to me and say, hey, we want you to come work for us because we like your skill set. And so it's just it is really interesting of how the, the best jobs I've had have been all through kind of word of mouth or or getting connected in the community or just putting my work out there. Um, But that, that can be really intimidating for people.
1: It can, but there are ways that you can do that when you're a job seeker, you can do it in a a strategic way and you should do it throughout your career because when you do so, you're going to create those opportunities that are going to come to you. And there are three ways you can navigate the hidden job market. Molly, First is informational interviews. We talked about those. They're structured business meetings that allow you to introduce yourself, share your goals, get insights into who might be hiring, where those hidden jobs might be, and, and also get recommendations about other people you could reach out to. The second way you can do it is by volunteering. You know, Sign up to yes. serve on a committee, yes. in your professional association. Get involved in your faith community. Um, you know, uh, take on an officer's role at the Little League do something that plays to your passion because then you'll be at your best and yeah. people will see you at your best and see you using skills and they'll think of you and the third is to get involved in industry associations in your field you know mm-hmm. go go to the mixers serve on the lunch program uh, and you'll figure out where you want to work and where the people who uh are in that field, hang out and start going to those events and you'll start making connections and building relationships that will help you uncover those hidden jobs.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Now, I want to talk to kind of a, a different segment of people. So the people that maybe are not interested in working for somebody else, um, Well, there are there are definitely people who they are not interested in entrepreneurship, but they want to still work for a company that's doing good. But then we have the other segment of people, of pe- people who are in that maybe in that dead end job, or they just have that passion and they have that dream of entrepreneurship and they want to start a business that is doing good in the world. How should they make the decision to make the because as as somebody who has an experience in both the for profit and the nonprofit world, how should that person make the decision to make the business either a for profit or nonprofit business? Why are things changing in the nonprofit space? There's been a lot of shift over the years of companies that um, maybe would have been a nonprofit are now going sort of the for profit route or B Corp route. Um, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I the model I used when I started my for profit business was it i began as a part time consultancy it was a kind of side hustle and whether you want to set up a, a non profit or a for profit i think that's a good approach i've seen obviously many other people do that too and the advantage of of taking that approach is it allows you to to road test the idea and begin to create revenue streams and attract uh, customers or or clients that you serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the choice between whether it's a for-profit or a nonprofit, I think that depends on a number of factors. They, yeah. they are really two very different models of business. Sure, so sure. if you're if you want to create a nonprofit, it means you have to get good at fundraising and grant writing and, and chasing donors and and those are our sales skills uh, that are certainly transferable to a for profit as well, but they are very different, and yeah. and so you you need to recognize that. Uh, I think the advantage of a for profit business is uh, there's there are more revenue sources out there, more customers. It's just a bigger world, and I think more opportunity. But you really need to be to follow your your heart here and. Because when you do that, you'll create energy that will help you be more successful.
0: Yeah, for sure. And this is a common issue, or not issue, but I would say decision in the ethical and fair trade fashion space. um, Because some fair trade fashion brands are nonprofits, 501c3s, that either directly benefit the community that they're working in in some way, or they have a, a direct nonprofit partner um, while others decide to go the for-profit route, um, and it's there's you know, it's a debate for another episode and another day. But it it does always kind of interest me, um, and I like to ask this question of business owners that are in that space of why they decided to maybe go one way or the other. Because I think it is, um, like you said, they are completely different business models. Um, And yeah, having, you know, served on the board for a few nonprofits. Yeah, fundraising is a is a completely unique skill that not everybody has. And grant writing is a whole nother skill. And I remember taking grant writing in college, and I couldn't, I knew that that was not my calling.
1: (laughs) It's an important choice to make. And and I think it, it really comes back to your skills and your goals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, another question I wanted to ask, and this is just maybe for my own curiosity. So for, you know, you mentioned that, you know, when people are really looking for to make connections and to maybe switch jobs or go into um, a, a new career or uh, find, a, find a job, that a lot of it is networking, <laughs> And for, I'm one of those very introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts. I don't really know how you want to categorize it because I'm actually introverted, but people always think I'm extroverted because I have a loud personality. Um, But uh, I am going to be honest. I loathe networking. I'm good at it, but I don't like it. So um, what are your tips for more effective networking and not feeling like you're just schmoozing or selling yourself? Because I feel like this is a really important skill for a lot of people. Um, What what are your tips for the person who really hates networking or mingling?
1: (laughs) Well, let's start with what networking is. Because I think when people hear that word, Molly, they imagine that function room at the airport holiday (laughs) and and that person in plaid who's making the rounds of the room and thinks (laughs) success is walking away with a huge stack of business cards (laughs) belonging to people they can't even remember the next day yes that that's not effective networking networking is about relationships Mm -hmm. and whether you're an introvert or an extrovert everybody uh, can be good at relationships and if you're an introvert and you're going to an event you want to look for ways to play to your strengths so Maybe you're good at photography, and you get excited doing that. Well, why not sign up to be the event photographer? And that gives you a chance to meet a lot of different people, but you're doing it in a way, in a role that you're very comfortable with and, and you feel at ease with. Yeah. Or maybe you sign up to be the person who checks everybody in. You're just dealing with folks one-on-one, but during the course of the evening, you'll probably meet dozens of, of others, and you get a chance to show... The other event organizers, uh, what you're good at, and, uh, and, and build connections with them as well. Yeah. So it's all about relationships, and, and there are a lot of different ways, whatever your personality style, to do that. The other thing to keep in mind about networking is it's not just about asking people for help or trying to make connections with others. It's also about being of service to others. And so that means making time to talk to people uh, who want to chat about their careers or, uh, again, volunteering or uh, finding ways to be of service to the community. And do it in a way that you don't expect anything in return. Because when you do that, you'll just be amazed at how much you do give back. But that's not why you should do it.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. But
1: it's, that, that is one of the benefits.
0: Yes. Amen to that, and I, yeah, I just I have to laugh about the guy in plaid with the stack of business cards because I know that guy. Yeah, yeah I've seen that guy.
1: <laughs> we all have. And success at a <laughs> at a networking event, whether you're at the registration table or you're you're making the rounds and introducing yourselves to people, uh, it's about connecting with two or three people and having real, authentic conversations, and and in be and listening as, as well and asking questions. Not just talking about yourself, because again, it's a long game you're playing here. Uh, when you network for professional reasons, you uh, you may not work with these people directly. There may be nothing they can do for you, but by paying attention to those relationships, uh, you're you're becoming part of that community, and it will pay professional dividends down the line.
0: For sure. Now I want to ask you, kind of before we go to get to our more get to know you questions, even though I think this is actually a get to know you question, is what is something that over the years does is there a moment or is there an experience in your own businesses that has really driven you? What like that really motivates you? Is there something that was just really life changing or maybe an and impact that you had that you just, y- you thought to yourself, this is why I do what I do. Is there a moment that stands out in your mind?
1: Well, there are a number of moments like that, um, that I've had in my career. And one, it was actually before I started my businesses, when I worked for an elected official in Portland, Oregon, it was on a, it was running for mayor, and I was his communications director. There was a project that required people in Uh, working class neighborhoods to sign up to the sewer system. And it was causing costing them ten to fifteen thousand dollars a household to do it. And these were big, big bills for working class families. And candidly, they were just unaffordable. So my boss had some ideas about how to fix that uh, and my contribution as a communicator was taking basically a binder full of ideas and turning them into a seven-point plan that to cut uh, sewer costs that fit on one page. And that changed the public conversation about that program. And within five months, we pushed through a $150 million relief program that resulted in people getting 30 to 50% reductions in their sewer assessments. And we actually sent them checks, Molly. And it was so gratifying to see these people come to government with a problem. It was real. And to see the policymaking process produce a solution, and to see people not get everything they wanted, but they got some of it, and it 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 made their lives better, and it made the community better too, uh, because uh, they got clean, safe water as a result.
0: Yeah! Wow, that is incredible, and I love um, that you talk about just really seeing kind of the process from beginning to 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 end, and seeing how what kind of impact that it ha- you know it has and yeah. in the day and age that we live in where politics is so divisive you know having worked in politics I'm you know I'm of the 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 passion that I I believe politics can be good um, when you get the right person in the right place. And um, but I I think that that's an amazing example. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So now is the portion of the show where I'm going to transition a little bit and I get to ask you just kind of some fun questions, get to know you a little bit more. Um, And this is also the portion of the show that my listeners love, where my husband who edits my shows inserts a fun sound effect or movie clip. I don't know. Every week it's different to transition us to the get to know you portion. So Mac, are you ready?
1: I'm ready. I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumberg can't see me. (laughs) And uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. space uh, Space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work.
0: So first is, what fictional character would be the coolest to meet in real life?
1: Wow, what a great question. <laughs> and you, you don't send these in advance, so you don't get a chance to think about them.
0: I know, I know. That's why.
1: <laughs> oh, golly. Um, I was just rereading... Uh, the great Gatsby a couple months ago. Oh, and I love that book. Yeah. And would it be cool to meet Daisy Buchanan and Jay Gatsby? Yes. Other parties.
0: Yes. That's a great example. Oh, and I love. Yeah. That was one of the books when I also had a stint as an English teacher, high school English teacher. And I remember teaching that book and I loved it. Loved it. So that's a great example. Um. So kind of in that same realm, uh, if you could steal credit for any great piece of art, maybe a great song, a movie, a book, what would you claim the credit for?
1: I, I wish I could write like um, or speak like the detective character Philip Marlowe. Ooh. Um, yeah, the the author also wrote the screenplay to Double Indemnity, which is one of the classic film noir Pictures of the the 1940s, you know, full of that hard-boiled dialogue. And nobody talks like that, but it's beautiful to listen to.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's another great example. Um, What is the most interesting thing you have read or seen recently? Is there a new book or a new documentary or something that you've seen or read recently that has just been really interesting for you? I
1: think the new biography of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yes. uh, Who wrote The
0: Little House on the Prairie.
1: Yeah. I, I read a few of those books when I was a boy, but I did not know the backstory, And I completely missed the television series. So it, it's not only about her life, but it's about the people who settled the prairies, um, Kansas and uh, uh, the Dakotas. And that period from about 1870 to 1920, uh, it's a really good book. Uh, and I'm blanking on the title, I think, but it's, it just came out last year.
0: Oh, that's a great. I did not know that there is a book on her. I, yes, I grew up reading all of the Little House on the Prairie books. I loved the show. The show was, oh, it was one of my favorite. And I actually heard, I think it is coming to Netflix or it might be on Netflix already or it's on Hulu. I don't know, but I want to, I can't wait till I I get to introduce it to my daughter because that is totally what I grew up watching. And I just, I love those books.
1: Well, I, I think you would enjoy this biography very much. It it came out at the in the middle of 2017 and popped up on a lot of best of uh, lists for the best of books list for the year.
0: That's awesome. Um, and then my last question is: What is the first record or tape you ever bought? Do you remember the first album you bought?
1: Uh, I do. It was <laughs> a cover. It was a. Uh, I think the Archies, way back in night. Yeah, it might have been the forty-five of Sugar Sugar.
0: I love it. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is um my my dad is seventy-three. Um, and I and my mom she passed away when I was seventeen. But my my mom had this massive record collection from everything from the Beatles to Jimi Hendrix to um, Iron Butterfly to, I mean, just you name it. She had all these records and, and 45s and I loved going through them as a kid. I remember my, my parents got me a record player and I would just go through and listen to all of her old records. So I, I always like to ask that question, um, especially of some of my guests who who were, you know, I, I like to say seasoned, my, my seasoned <laughs> guests.
1: <laughs> You're very kind. <laughs>
0: Um, Because I just I think it's awesome. And I I love that era. And I I love knowing what what kinds of music people listen to. And um, just because I'm a big music person. So that's a, you know, it always tells me a little bit about somebody when I know what kind of music they listen to. (laughs) Uh, Well, Mac, this has been wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, just so many great pieces of advice for people. And so I know this is really going to be a help to a lot of people and, and maybe even get people thinking about you know, what might be next for them. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Um, Where can people find you online?
1: Well, we do have a book out called Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. And a lot of the tactics and strategies that we talked about can be found in that book. If your listeners would like to get the first chapter for free, they can go to maxlist.org slash purpose. we have other resources about job hunting at maxlist.org. And we've got a podcast called Find Your Dream Job. We publish every Wednesday and you can find that on iTunes.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Mac. This has been a pleasure. And um, for the listeners, I will have all of that information and uh, Mac's information in the show notes so you can um, get all of that and uh, you know connect with him. So thank you so much, Mac. Thank you
1: for having me on the show, Molly. It's been fun.
0: I learned so much from this conversation with Mac. I especially loved how he gave so many practical tips for how to grow as a person and as an employee and how to reach out to that person you you look up to and you'd really love to connect with. As usual, I will have all of Mac's information in the show notes. And of course, another huge, huge, huge thank you to this week's sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever ever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed to the show clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast and while you're there would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you and if you share the show on social media, be sure to use that hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband, executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.